I think, you know, what comes up for me again and again when I think about something like this is um, my ability to see through the bullshit. And that is, you know, there's so much information everywhere. And I think it could get overwhelming of like, well, what's what? And I have an ability, call it combined intuition, experience wisdom of all the things. I can look at something and pretty clearly and pretty accurately give it a yes or no. Um, obviously within certain, certain areas, the areas that I have knowledge in, um, I don't have to analyze. I don't have to think about it. It's just this instant yes or no that time after time has proven to be incredibly accurate. And so that's something that I'm able to do for myself and for my clients, um, that is, um, saves us a lot of time of not chasing, not chasing the wrong things. Heroes are an inspiring group of people, every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that, I can help people, I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Welcome back to the Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have the pleasure of having on the line Jane Sigalovich. Jane, are you there? I am here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So glad to have you here today. Um, I know you said you're calling in from uh, Denver. Is that right? Sunny Denver, Colorado. We're still, what, it's December, mid almost mid-December, and we're still waiting for our first snow. So yes. No snow yet, huh? I, it's like, that's what Denver is famous for is the snow. I was, we're yep. in Southern California, and I was just blown away because we, we just drove all the way across the country, and it's been cold the whole time, and we get here, and I'm like, oh yeah, California. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like 76 degrees and sunny and glorious, and I drove my uh, my cousin back home this morning to his hometown in um, about 45 miles south of here, and I'm like on the freeway doing... 85 miles an hour and getting past like I'm standing still. Um, and I was like, ah, oh, California, where everyone speeds mm -hmm. and the weather is perfect. <laughs> yep, hard to leave. <laughs> uh, I did. I lived there for a little while and I did miss seasons. Being in the winter, seeing the palm trees decorated with Christmas decorations was a little weird for me. But <laughs> So my my favorite thing the other day, um, we were in um, just down the street here. There's a, a community college. And I was driving back home with my wife from where, wherever we were at. And in the parking lot of the community college, someone has taken bicycle ramps and driven up to the mountain that's just, a, you know, about an hour from here, packed their truck up with snow, brought it all back down and coated the bicycle ramps in snow and has a bunch of kids taking sleds down bicycle ramps. And I was like, Aww. California winter right there. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not natural. We'll make it. We'll make it happen. Make it happen. Uh, so what I want to start off with is just doing a real quick introduction for um, for you and what it is that you do. So you run a company called Scale Your Genius. Is that right? Yes. And so I'm going to go through just a brief um, part of your bio here um, and and just talk about a little bit of what you do. Let's see if I can actually find the bio here on your um, on your page. So Jane, you founded Scale Your Genius in 2018 to help people whose works makes a difference in people's lives to make a bigger impact, make more money and have more freedom in how they do their work. 
Um, so what I want to just start with is why don't you tell me what Scale Your Genius is, who you serve, and what you do for them? Absolutely. So Scale Your Genius is a boutique consulting strategy firm, and we help in-demand professionals People whose work makes a difference, people in helping professions, so therapists, lawyers, coaches, consultants, authors, other people with a lot of wisdom in their head that they want to use to make a bigger difference in the world. We help them package that into programs and courses so that not only do they get to get that work out to more people, they also don't have to hustle as much to do it. So a lot of my clients start out in the one-on-one model because, you know, if you think of someone like a therapist or a lawyer, that is the industry norm today. And they get to a point where they're just at capacity. They may have a wait list. And they don't want to cap their impact. They don't want to cap what they're able to do. Um, You know, a lot of them already do make a lot of money by the time they're ready to scale. So they may not want to make more money. Some do, some don't. Some may just want to free up their time. So whether it's more money or more free time, how do they take their wisdom and their expertise and package it in a way that they're able able to do that? So super, super fun work. Um, I get exposed to the most interesting, creative things that people do and have and have knowledge on. And so um, part of the fun that I get to have is learning about all the stuff that people people out there are doing and creating. Yeah, I run a uh, ran a company for a long time that we still do some of this work on the on the background. Um, but um, that I called it's part of the, the back of the hero show is uh, um, the digital alchemy formula. And we help people do the same kind of thing, take their expertise and package it up. Um, and you know, we've, we've, we do less of that now because we've gotten more into the helping them build their audience with their podcasts, with our podcast agency. But I spent many years doing what you do. Um, and it's, it's a fascinating space to be in because you get the chance to work with people who are experts in their space and you get to, um, at least one of the things that we do is we, we teach them how to teach, right? Cause being an expert mm. in something doesn't necessarily make you an expert teacher. Um, that's yes. where we come in and we could help you help them be an expert teacher in that space and, scale their impact by being able to do one-to-many or by doing um, asynchronous learning, right? Which is what the online courses and stuff are. So it's a cool space. I'm glad you, more more and more people need to be doing what you're doing because it's such it's it's such a, a needed thing and it's not easy, right? People are like, oh, yeah. I'll just make a course, but you can't just make a course. You have to You have to know how to teach. You have to know how to present. You have to know how to take what's in your head and unpack like that the expert blindness um, and help people get there. So yeah, it's a, it's a really cool thing to do. Um, and I guess what I want to find out from you is how did you get into that game, right? So we, uh, we talk on this show about your origin story as a comic book superhero. Everyone has their origin story. Um, and I want to hear that. How did you become a hero? Were you bit by a radioactive spider that, you know, made you get into mm-hmm. wanting to do, um, uh, you know, online coaching and teaching that way? Um, or did you start in a job and eventually become an entrepreneur? Basically, where'd you come from? Yeah, absolutely. So my first 15, actually, I'll, I'll, start, I'll start way early in the beginning. My family moved here from uh, Ukraine back in 1991. We were refugees from the former Soviet Union. And so where that plays an important part of where I am today is the American dream, right? That the yeah. business, and it wasn't business ownership yet at the time for me. I don't think I actually really knew what business ownership versus corporate was because the whole business idea was so new to me, but I knew it was something about business and making money and having a successful career that I wanted to do. And so the first 
my first part of my path was very typical business. So I got an I got a undergrad in marketing. I worked at at a at Ford Motor Company was actually my first job out of college. I went back for my MBA and had more jobs in the in the business space and the strategy space. And so I was doing that climbing the corporate ladder that I thought I really wanted to do. I thought that to me was the definition of the American dream. At one point I wanted to do marketing for Ralph Lauren. I'm like how much more American cool. can you get? <laughs> yeah. 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 I never had that job, but I did. So what's fun is I actually mm-hmm. had a lady the other day who did marketing for Ralph Lauren on our podcast. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's somebody I might, you might need to connect me with to see what, what it, that world I thought Lauren I was going to have. And Estee Lauder and a few others. Um, I'll find her name um, and, and send it to you because she was, she was cool. We just did that interview. It should be coming out in a few weeks. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to see what that world I thought was gonna be like actually is like. Probably probably different <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, well, she actually, same um, same kind of thing. She started in corporate and moved into her own stuff. So yeah, and I'll say, you know, one thing I, I, I will say is the experience of being in corporate America is such a valuable one. I spent 15 years and the things I learned absolutely allow me to bring things into the online business experience that don't naturally come with an online business experience. I like to say that we combine proven time-tested business strategy with this funky online space that's constantly changing. So, so that's yeah. part of, you know, kind of going back to that journey is I loved it until I hated it. Um, I loved it. The, the high visibility roles, the things that looked really good on paper. I was getting promotions. I was getting new jobs, kind of all the things that you think you want when you're coming into that world I had. And inside I was still, I was still miserable. I knew it totally wasn't it. Um, I have two of my core values that are very evident in my business now are efficiency and freedom. And if you Mm -hmm. think of bigger corporations, those two are definitely not anywhere of the things you see. And so even though I was making a difference, Exactly, exactly. So there was a lot of really great stuff in my career and I learned a ton. What was eating up inside of me was like, this is not it. You're, you need to really kind of break out of this box. And boss after boss was kind of telling me to get back in the fishbowl, stop playing too big, you know, stop being too big for your britches, whatever that, that, that um, phrase is. And so it was like signal after signal that I'm like, I don't belong here. I'm not one to dim my light and play small and play your game and, you know, whoever, whoever the bosses of the time is. And so I knew I needed to leave. Um, unlike anything I would ever recommend to somebody, I just left with zero plan of what to do the next day. Um, I was lucky to have had a good savings amount. So I wasn't really worried about the financial side of it. I just knew I just had a very clear off button to what I was doing. I said, that is no longer what I want to do. I'll figure it out. And And so, (laughs) and done. Yeah. The end button. And so I just, I I put in my notice, I left and a friend of mine was starting a consulting business at the time. Um, So I joined him and really learned a ton. Uh, We had a consulting business for three or four years and I learned so much about how to apply what I knew with the big corporate structures and apply them to small business owners, which is who we worked with in that business. And our last year together, we were looking at transitioning to the online space. Um, so then I was learning a lot about what this is all about and um, taking my being a client in online courses and programs, which is really where I fell in love with the business model is I loved what it enabled me to do as a student, a client, a learner and learning on my own time. If I can sit on the couch with a glass of wine and hand my feet up on, you know, on the coffee table and yeah. learn something, do something. I love that experience so much. And so that last year of our business together, I was falling in love with the business model from both sides. 
that business fell apart. Um, and so when I was presented with a bl- another blank slate of now what, um, this was just such a natural, natural choice for me to focus strictly on this business model. And um, the other, you know, as I was falling in love with it, the other thing I was seeing as um, someone with a consultant brain is as I was taking people's courses, I'm like, this could be so much better. This could be so much better, right? So you're really seeing where they're missing so much. And so it was so enjoyable to come into that space and, and, and enable them to create better experiences for their learners and also for themselves too. So, yeah, so absolutely. not have, a linear path to here, but. I have a, a similar, similar trajectory. I started off a little earlier. Um, I started my first business at 13. Um, mm. and I, uh, uh, I, I convinced my dad to give me a loan to go to the big box store and buy candy. I got 50 bucks from him to buy that. And I was selling my wares on campus lasted a grand total of about six weeks before they told me I couldn't sell on camps without a business license. So I tell people I had my first government shutdown at 13. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, so I, I ran a couple of small, um, small things. I ran a photography company through college, um, and eventually started my consulting firm. Out, out of college, um, doing marketing for small businesses, and then realized that I was terrible at business. Um, and I actually shut that consulting firm down and moved into corporate America um, for about 18 months. And I, I was like, I want to work as a, you know, a C-level director for marketing um, for a small company that didn't have a lot of bureaucracy, but big enough that like I would learn how to work with big companies. Uh, and so I got a job in 28 days um, and beat out 250 other people that were looking for the same position. Um, because I had the marketing chops. And then over the next year and a half, um, helped them 10x their lead flow and bring in $50 million in sales. Um, and then I gave them my notice. And I was like, thank you very much for helping me get the skills I wanted to get. And I gave them, um, I actually gave them two months notice because I needed to help hire and train someone um, mm-hmm. to take over all the stuff that we had built. Um, but yeah, and then I took all of that and brought it back to my consulting firm where we actually started, I started getting into doing exactly what you're doing and helping helping clients build uh, courses and training. We did that for many years. Um, so yeah, it's a, a similar kind of path. But yeah, I love I love the whole helping people teach how to learn. And I know my first client, you mentioned, you mentioned like they're doing things wrong and you could help them. And I remember my first client had this great course in real estate investing and I was going through it and I was like, oh, there's so many good things in here, but it's difficult to follow, right? And it's difficult to follow because he's an expert here and he is making a lot of assumptions that those of us who know nothing about the space are like, wait, you did what now? (laughs) Um, And I sat down with him and um, we took his course and restructured the whole thing and retaught it. And he was, his course went from having about a 20% success rating to having an 86% success rating. And he went from selling about $1,200 a month of it to $250,000 a year of that program. Um, just by learning how to do what we do, which is teach people how to teach and give really good experiences. Yeah. yeah. And what's so interesting, and I, I see this with every, every client pretty much is when we're coming from a place of expertise, we think the other person wants to become us, even maybe subconsciously, maybe not consciously. And so we're, tr- we're teaching to our knowledge instead of teaching yeah. them to what is the outcome that they want to have. And what is the knowledge that they need to have to be able to get to that outcome? And it's exactly. a very, very teeny tiny percentage of what we know or think they yeah. need to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you got like, here's all the things I know about X, Y, Z topic. And I'm just going to brain dump them on you instead of like, hey, what's the specific outcome that you want to get? And how, what 
slice of all the information in my head do you need in order to get that outcome? Um, yeah, and what's the shortest path to results, right? I think there's one there's one other fallacy in the online course, online space, um, space, online space, space, is that the longer the course, the more stuff there's in it, the more they can charge and the more valuable it is. And one of the shifts that once my cli- clients are actually, I mean, I say this a lot in, in, in my public content too, is the big shift is the quicker, the better, not the more is yeah. better. So if, if, if your client yeah. has a goal of calling it, you know, losing 10 pounds, enabling them to lose 10 pounds in one month is much better than helping them lose one, those 10 pounds in a year. And people go into the space with the opposite mentality of like, let me give them more modules. Let me give them more stuff. When instead the best thing you can do, the most valuable thing you can do is create that shortest cleanest path yeah the shortest path to the to the most significant result yeah Um, yeah the critical path the the biggest change we made with that first client was it was let me teach you how to do real estate investing to learn how to close your first deal in 60 days Mm, which dramatically mm -hmm. restricted the content to all these things you can know about real estate investing to here's what you need to do to close your first deal in the next 60 days which immediately starts getting people results and you start getting you know, testimonials and case studies. And other people are like, I did what you said and I got my first deal closed, which gets that whole wheel going of people that are like, it snowballs into larger and more impact, which is your goal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Narrow topic is the other such super, super, super important part of that a lot of people don't necessarily get right. Because again, they're like, well, I'm an expert in all these things. Let me teach all these things. No, teach one tiny little piece, like you said, but that is so, so important to the person on the other side. Yeah, Absolutely. So I want to I want to find out then in this whole realm what your superpower is as 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 a hero who teaches this stuff right and we you know talk on this show every iconic hero has a superpower whether that's a fancy flying suit made by their genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength um, in the real world heroes have what I call a zone of genius which is either a skill mm-hmm. or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over time. Um, that really energize all of your other skills, right? It's uh, what sets you apart and allows you to help your clients come out on top in their journeys. And the way I like to frame it for people is if you look at all the skills that you've developed, there's probably one or two that are like the common threads that tie everything together. And that common thread is where you find your superpower. So thinking through it through that lens, what do you think your superpower is in this space? Yeah, I think, you know, what comes up for me again and again, when I think about something like this is um, my ability to see through the bullshit. And that is, you know, there's so much information everywhere and I think it can get overwhelming of like, well, what's what? And mm-hmm. I have an ability, call it combined intuition, experience, wisdom of all the things. I can look at something and pretty clearly and pretty accurately give it a yes or no. Um, obviously within certain certain areas, the areas that I have yeah. knowledge in. Um, I don't have to analyze. I don't have to think about it. It's just this instant yes or no that time after time has proven to be incredibly accurate. And so that's something that I'm able to do for myself and for my clients um, that is um, saves us a lot of time of not chasing, not chasing the wrong things. Yeah, absolutely. I know um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a useful skill to be able to, especially if you're t- looking at something like helping someone do a course or do a thing where you can you can say like, hey, here's all the things that you have in your repertoire and here's the ones that are important to help your client get the result, right? You can laser focus and see those things, right? And as you said, all the other bullshit falls away, right? It's just, this exactly. is the stuff, it's the, the clear line from your new client to they have the result they want. 
Um, yeah, you know, and we can laser in on the topic. You know, you gave a really brilliant example of what a concise topic can do. We can dial, you know, we can narrow in on the journey, but we can also narrow in on the marketing. You know, if you think of the online space and the noise that happens on the marketing side. So somebody wants to put out a course, a program, they're going to need to market. And all over the place, there's messages being thrown at them. And so I could say, okay, here is we could look at a strategy and say, here is what's behind it. Here's why it works for some, doesn't work for others. So let, what, how can we apply that to you instead of saying, you know, Facebook ads work or don't work, webinars work or don't work, podcasts work or don't work, right? Each one of those things has, there's a reason they work and don't work for certain people. And so how yeah. do we, you know, same, how do we yeah. cut through that it's, clutter in the marketing space too? It's, 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 na- it's nailing that message, right? What are you saying and who are you saying it to? And a lot of people, yep. they go to a marketing tactic like Facebook or podcasting without a message for a person. And then they're like, yep. it didn't work. I'm like, well, what, are you, what were you saying? Right? Because <laughs> if you didn't have something that you were saying to a specific person, of course it didn't work. Right? Yep. And you know, for, for a lot of people who are experts at Facebook ads or Google ads or podcasting or anything, they're tacticians in that space. Right? They're, they're good at that thing. And so you have to bring them a message that they can help amplify, right? Um, if you come to them with a terrible message, they're going to amplify that terrible message and it's not going to work. Exactly, exactly. You know, the interesting thing about message and, and, and how we work with clients and, and the process, the, the, the um, format that I see working well for people is the message is the first thing you create before you yeah. create anything else. So we don't start creating any course content or marketing content until that message is super, super dialed in. And I know some people in the market will call that, like will package that with the idea of pre-selling a course or program. I like to disconnect those ideas and you know, step number one, be super, super, super clear on that messaging and then create to fit the messaging. And so it's backwards than a lot of people think about it, but I find it to be by far the most profitable because you really, then you don't, you're not questioning what to say. When you get to the marketing strategy tactics, you know what you're saying and to who, and that then the rest of the process is so much easier. So my curious question then is how do you go through that process with someone to find the right messaging that's going to bring, bring the right people? Mm. Discovery. So the way we do it is I send them a questionnaire that they do kind of a break. It's brain dumping and then brainstorming is the way I do it. So I find having those two pieces be important. So brain dumping is like anything you've ever thought about a course or a program, get it out of your head, right? Clear it out so it's not spinning around for the next space. For the next space, I give them prompts to brainstorm on, really coming from this a much more clear space. Then we get on a Zoom call together. And this is why, this is where, you know, I teach courses and programs, but my work is hands-on and there are a lot of one-on-one components because Things like this, you can't do on your own. You can't see the brilliance inside you the way that somebody else can reflect to you. And so we come together on a Zoom call and that's where we we, we, we flesh that out. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, It's fascinating. What's, what's interesting about what you just said too is that's actually the reason why we don't do as much of the building courses that we did in the past is because like you said, it is one of those things that you can't put it in a course and have someone get the result that they want yeah. to get out of it. Because they need to have someone come in like yourself or myself and really help pull that out of them. And it's a very one-on-one difficult task to do, which is why I'm like, I'm so excited. There's more people doing that um, because yes. it's 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 a very tough thing to teach um, and a tough thing to pull out of someone. 
um, especially if they're if they're um, for, through like asynchronous learning, it's it's much it's much quicker. You get better results when you do it in that one-on-one fashion, which is funny because it's, what you're teaching it, people to do is asynchronous learning. <laughs> yeah, and it's worth you know that call is worth every penny. Um, it's not something you can ever. The mirror we can hold up to someone else is not something they can ever do on their own. And that's the model, you know. And then the whole you know involving involving the human in the asynchronous learning is one of the things I teach too, is one of the reasons people are so scared of courses is because they think their course has to be 100% digital. And it's like, no, digitize the things that you say over and over again that can be great as modules and pop in as you need, you know, how much do people need you to be able to get those outcomes and keep that in there? Yeah, yeah. Then you still you have, need human you connection. Blended. You still have, yeah. you have, then you have blended things where you have, you have asynchronous and you have live and you have the ability to, to, um, increase the intimacy, right? And I tell people, all of our clients, one of the things I always used to say to them is people don't buy information, they buy intimacy. Mm. Um, and one of my my favorite examples of that is I have I have a client and a friend um, who runs a, uh, um, or ran the public utility in Las Vegas for a number of years. And she brought it from several hundred thousand dollars a year to like 46 million, I think. She, wrote, she made it really big. Um, and then she runs a consulting firm where she teaches um, she teaches people how to take their six-figure companies and turn them into seven-figure companies. And she's got like a 100% track record doing that. And mm-hmm. she has a process that she has a book on. And the process is like 10 steps. And it's on her book. And you can buy the book on Amazon for $9. And you can go through that process. Everything she teaches is in that book. And she's got a program, a, co- a course that you can take that's asynchronous learning kind of thing. And that one costs like a thousand bucks, but you can go through that anytime you want. And the content of that course is literally just her walking through the course of content from the, the book on video. Um, and then she's got a done with you service where her team and organization will help coach your organization on how to do the steps. And like, you know, it's a lot more expensive. It's like 20 grand. And they, you know, when you go in and do that, it's, it's they, they like, okay, month one, here's the first chapter of the book. We're going to do these things. Um, and then she's got a done for you service where her organization will actually come in and take over your company for a little while and do all of this stuff for you. Um, and that costs like a hundred grand plus a percentage of revenue generated. And what they do is on month one, they come in and, (laughs) um, and they start with chapter one in the book and they go through it. And what's interesting to me is the only thing that changes is not the content. What changes is the level of intimacy. And that's really Mm -hmm. what people pay for. So to your point earlier, if you don't need to include more, you don't need more content. If you want to charge more, you need to figure out how you up the intimacy. Mm, exactly, exactly. And how do you, the other thing, I'm hearing intimacy. I'm also hearing an increased likelihood of success as you go up that chain, right? Because yeah. there is more, um, there's more of that involvement. There's more, you know, especially the, those upper tiers where, you know, if, if you have a question, who answers that question? If I'm reading a book and I have a question on a concept, now what happens? Nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I get absolutely. stuck and I put the book down. Yep, that is uh, that is true, and right, it's that you have that the more access, right? That's why I call it intimacy. Is you have more access to mm-hmm. the expert, um, and yeah. yeah, it's it's what helps helps people really get the results. And how you can charge more for your programs and do things like that is you help find ways to include, like you were saying, the ability to. You don't have to have everything be asynchronous, so you can blend yeah. those and do all sorts of cool things. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So and that's really yeah, and that's really the key. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about the flip side then of your superpower. So if your superpower is your ability to see that clear line, right, to cut through all the bullshit, the flip side of that um, is your fatal flaw. 
right? And mm, just like mm. every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, you probably have a flaw that's held you back in your business, something you've struggled with. For me, it was a couple of things, right? In my early entrepreneurial career, I struggled a lot with perfectionism, which meant that I was always working on tweaking things and never going to the market, which, you know, that's a terrible way to make a profitable business, but I tried it. Um, and my other one was uh, I had lack of self-care, which really presented in not having good boundaries with my clients and not having good boundaries with my time and my business and other things that kept me from really being able to grow and scale. Um, so I think, but more important than what the, uh, the flaw is, is how have you worked to overcome those? So people in our audience might learn a little from your experience. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know, perfectionism, I, I, I don't want to repeat the one you said, but I think as entrepreneurs, that's, that's probably one that's like super common in a lot of us. And it's one that holds us back in a lot of ways. And it's, um, what's, what was easy for me with perfectionism in the corporate space, I'll, I'll, I'll start the answer in that way, was that there was there are clear rules. And so my perfectionist side was able to follow the rules and have good success, right? So I was always a really good test taker. I was always like the first one to walk out of the room getting you know the, the A um, because I, I know how to follow the rules. I know how to do the thing. And so my perfectionist side, which I didn't even know I had at that time, was like, yep, bam, we got it. It enabled me a lot of success. What happened once I got into the entrepreneur space is exactly what you said. When there are no rules, when there is no bar, I create my own bar that was insanely too high for any sort of reasonable human to set. And so whereas in the corporate in the corporate space somebody else was setting the bar, sure I set the bar of like how many promotions I wanted or you know amount of money or whatever. There were clear paths and clear steps and clear requirements. And so that was easy for me in the entrepreneur space where I set my own bar. My first and I'll speak of this business specifically. Because my career was so successful in the corporate space, my expectations of becoming an entrepreneur was that I would obviously exceed that very, very quickly. Um, anyone who's made the corporate to entrepreneurship jump, I'd say most people will know that that is not true, that you know the things that got you to that point are not necessarily the same things that enable you to be successful in the entrepreneurship journey. And so that's where my perfectionism just... It put me in freeze mode is really what it did. I just wasn't able to do anything. Nothing I was saying, doing was ever good enough for myself. Perfectly fine for everybody else, but never good enough for myself. And so I wasn't relating it to perfectionism at the time yet. I was just like, why is nothing good enough, right? I was just kind of stuck in this, unable to move forward, unable to really do much. And when I'm trying to think if there was a pivotal moment when I discovered that that is the flaw. And I think I was doing a lot of online courses around mindset stuff and personal development. So I think somewhere somewhere along there was was where it kind of came up. I'm like, okay, I think this is this is the correlation. This is the I'm setting the bar so high and I'm moving the bar. Um, and so what I had to do was I would set silly goals for myself, and I still do that. My goal is not to run a marathon. My goal is to walk around the block, one block. Yeah. Right. If I beat it, cool. My goal is to write one page in my journal. My my goal is to write one post this week. And so I started setting these ridiculous goals for myself that are ridiculously low. And then working through the mindset of of grounding myself that that's okay, right? Because the first thing that happened when I did that was like, oh well, that's bullshit. Like, how am I ever going to do the things I want to do with such small goals? And so it's just really working through that process internally for myself of like. No, this is just what I need to move forward. 
and I still love those little goals. Like it's, it's, it's funny how much I love like checking things off the list that are small and yeah. amazing and like, um, and then allowing myself to feel comfortable with, with that piece of progress unlocked my ability to go for much bigger goals in this much safer, easier way. Yeah, it's interesting. I, re I remember you're talking about pivotal moments. And I remember very clearly the pivotal moment for me about learning where my perfectionism is holding me back. Um, and I was in a mastermind group with other entrepreneurs who were more successful than myself. And one of them um, has become a good friend over the last many years. And she was like, she, she was like, so here's the problem with perfectionism. And she said, perfectionism is the lowest standard you can hold yourself to because you can't hit it. Mm. And, and I was like, I was like, it, it, that unlocked a lot of things in my head. I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> because if you can't hit it, then why are you striving for it? Um, and so you have to, you have to change the goal and which forces you to ask better questions about, okay, so what, what is a good goal? Um, and what is a, what is a shippable product, right? What is, you know, good enough for the market to get them the result that they want? Um, and so that changed a lot for me. And then the other thing that really changed a lot for me is something that I've started doing more recently, um, or at least I've given it a name more recently. I call it completion stacking. Same kind of thing you were talking about is having mm -hmm. small goals. And I just start, stopped thinking about them about uh, uh, goals because I needed a different mental wrapper to put things in because goals sort of have this, they have, the, they have their own baggage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I call it completion stacking. And what, uh, what that means to me and what I've been teaching other people is that you have a, a certain set of time that you're working on things today, right? Maybe it's the next 20 minutes or it's the next hour or the next eight hours, whatever the time frame you have is. You're like, hey, I've got four hours to work on this project. What is something that I can take from start to finish? Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't care about all the things that you get told in goals all the time. Right. You want to, you know, you want to focus on the things that are urgent or important and not urgent. And you want to focus on, you know, something that can move your business forward at least 1%, right. All those, all the stuff that you sort of hear with completing goals. I'm like, I don't care about any of that. All I want to know is what can I do in this amount of time that I can take from start to finish. Right. And have it be done. And then I can mm -hmm. take that done thing and I can plug it in to my business and have it ready to go. And whether that is a headline for a blog post or, um, you know, if I got more time and we're writing a whole thing or getting a video edited or whatever the thing is, get it all the way done. Um, and then you put it, you just put it into practice, um, which forces you to do things like build in inefficiencies, which as a perfectionist, you hate, right? Cause you're like, I have to finish this whole email sequence right now. And so you finish it all and you're like, but I know next week I'm going to add on to it, which means I'm going to have to come back and change the transition to fit into that next, that next set. I'm like, doesn't matter. The inefficiencies are part of it because I need to get it completed and then put in. And that's really helped me get over that whole desire to be a perfectionist because I, part of my, I don't know what you call it. Part of that desire to be perfection is the perfection for me is completing something. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like that's how your that's that's where your brain gets that dopamine hit of perfectionist when that thing is when the thing is done. Yeah, I've I've completed a thing, and so instead yeah. of having this goal of this sort of ethereal like it's not perfect yet, so I can't do anything, um, to like I just need to finish something, whatever it is. Yeah, and I want to I want to touch on something you mentioned that I that I think is so important and something that I had to go through, and I think a lot of people do too. Is like when you mentioned you know the. Or, you had to throw away the things around goals. So, you know, it can't be important versus urgent. Other rules around that are, um, you know, your morning routine has to look like X, Y, Z. 
yeah. th- there's so many rules getting thrown at us at how we should be performing that I think, especially as perfectionists, it's like, okay, I can't start work until my bed is made and I have done my half an hour workout and all this other stuff. I think we can just really sabotage ourselves trying to follow rules from other people. And so one of the, one of the journeys for myself was um, a little bit like self-testing, like, do I care about this thing? Yes or no. Does my day go better if I make my bed? Yes or no. And for me, no, it does not. So I don't care what all the books say. I'm not making my bed <laughs> and I'm okay. And so there's so many rules that I think are, are we, we may feel pressured to follow because someone else says that is how you be successful, that I think we get to just see what works and what doesn't work for ourselves. And, and really, you know, this is where intuition comes in too with perfectionism a lot too. It's like, do I really need this thing or not? Yeah, that's one of the things I, I've always been fascinated by that, that very specific subject is because people have success and we think that we have to model success after them. Um, and what's interesting is a lot of times we focus on tactics and not on principles when people do that. So like as an example, I had a, um, a friend of mine is a, in the coaching space for real estate agents. And he's like, one of the things that he runs into that's really, really common on real estate teams is that um, the one who is running the team will be like, hey, the thing that I was really successful with was, you know, door knocking, right? And I just went out into the neighborhood and I knocked on 300 doors a day until I became a millionaire in real estate, right? Which absolutely happens, right? Um, and that's that's what they can go and do. And so they're like, they'll invite their team in and their team would like, what do I do to be successful? And they'd be like, well, you go and knock on 300 doors a day. Um, and there are some people that like knocking on 300 doors a day would just destroy them. It saps all their energy and makes them not like it. And they don't last in the business because they're practicing a tactic and not a principle, right? And Mm -hmm. the principle, if you back it up a little bit, is showing up every day and being excited about the task that you have in front of you, right? And he's like, so in real estate, one of the things he has to do a lot of coaching on is like, you have to find the tactic that gives you the energy that allow you to show up long term, right? Because Mm, if you show up I love how he framed that. Yeah. Because it's the showing up long term that allows them to get success in real estate, right? And whether it's Facebook ads or it's door knocking or working with your sphere of influence or whatever, there's a whole bunch of like jargon around what they do in real estate. But anyways, whatever the tactic is, he's like, he does a lot of coaching with helping them sort of break that mental mental thought. They're like, hey, what you have to do what the other successful person did because um, that's not the case. It's like you have, mm. you have to have the, the you have to use the principles of success, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It comes back to the point we we're talking about earlier of like, why does something work? All the things work and all the things don't work, right? Yeah. Why does it work? And what are the things that will make it work for you are the questions. Yeah. If you told me to knock on 300 doors, I would leave, but can I use, you know, can I be creative and find clients some other way? Yeah, probably. And so, yeah, if, if we see this so much in the online space, right? This worked for me. Let me teach you how to do that. And so, and that's fine if people want to do that tactic, but it, it creates this idea in other people's minds who saw the marketing from this person that this is the way you get to your goal. And they think they have to, you know, and then they'll be mis- like one of the examples would be, you know, p- pitching people through like direct messages on Facebook or whatever, whatever yeah. platform. And it's, a, it, it's a, it's a, it works for people. There's nothing inherently wrong with it when done fine. But you see these people thinking that they have to do that to be successful and they hate it and it's not the right strategy for them and they get stuck in it. And so they're, yeah, it's the same. It's the 300, it's the 300 doors for them where they could have so much more success doing something else. But this person taught them their quote unquote key to success that worked for them, but it's not working for the other people. And so, yeah, it's like, why does something work is such an important question. It reminds me, uh, reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, which I'm not going to remember who said this, but it was like, we need, we need more people 
Um, the world needs more people who've come alive. So go out and find what makes you come alive and go do that. Mm. Um, and can you realize that a lot of what the ta- the reason the tactics work for people is because they bring their passion and their energy to it, right? And yeah. when they do it and they do those things, the their their person, their authenticity, their spirit comes through in that. And that's why that tactic works for them. And if it works the same way for you, that's great. <laughs> but if it doesn't, there's other ways to accomplish the goals and you find the ones that make you come alive. Um, and when you find those things, right? For me, it's it's building systems, like the backend systems that power things, just like they make me happy in ways I can't quite describe. And so we've built tremendous systems on the back end of our agency um, that allow us to scale, allow us to do things at significantly lower prices and about higher quality than other agencies because we've built really fascinating systems to power them because that's what that's what makes me come alive. Uh, mm. And you realize that like it's 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 the uh, you know we talked we were just you know, talking about superpowers when you figure out what your superpower is and you can really hone in on that and use that to help grow your business. That's where um, you can find the tactics that fit fit with that. I love the guideline of what makes you come alive, what you just said. I think that's so, you know, I, I love simplicity and efficiency, right? So, so so if you think about a strategy, does it make you come alive or not? Or the thing you just did, that I think that would solve so many problems for so many people if they just Absolutely. use that one question as a decision guide. Does this make me come alive? Yes or no? Yeah. Right? Like, you know, what making your bed in the morning, right? Does it make you come alive or yeah. not? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> Other people yeah, it might, yeah. right? Yeah. So for me, it's a morning shower. If I don't get my morning shower, my whole day is weird. Like I just can't, yeah. can't function right. <laughs> and so like that's the exactly. one that's my one like non-negotiable in the morning is I always get my morning shower in and then like the rest of my day is fine. It's but it's not making my bed. I thought it was making my bed for a long time. I still like to make my bed. I like it better when it's made, but it's not the thing. Right. Yeah. It's not the thing yeah. that makes me Yeah. Out. And so you can't go out and yeah. And you're not going out there saying teaching you, you know, your morning shower is the key to success, right? It may be. <laughs> yeah. But but the but yeah, it the better be. and possibly less marketable headline is what brings you alive is your key to success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk then about um, your common enemy, which is a completely different gear shift here, but every superhero has an arch nemesis, right? And it's the thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world, right? So in the world of business, we put it in, um, in the context of your clients, and it's a mindset or a flaw that you run into regularly that you have to fight against, right? If you had your magic wand and every time a client signed on the bottom line, you could just bat them on the head with the uh, magic wand and have no longer have to deal with that mindset. Um, so you can actually help them get the results they came to you for. What is that mm. common enemy that you find yourself having to constantly fight against in your space? You know, what comes to mind and super relevant to what we were just talking about is the idea of rules and that there's one way to do something, right? So people have an idea, yeah. you know, for using courses and as an example, they think I need a big email list. I need to be tech savvy, like whatever they think are truths, because somebody somewhere told them or someone succeeded in this way. So they told them, this is the way you're going to succeed. That's the enemy are things people think are true that are not true, which is pretty much everything, right? Nothing is a fact, like nothing in this world is a really, really a fact. So the idea that they have to do something a very specific way, I would say is the common enemy. Um, I love helping people find ways to make it work for them. You know, it's, it's, it's your shower in the morning, right? It's, it's, it's what is that thing that 
I'm going to steal your phrase brings like brings was it brings more life. Did I get that right? Um, it's it's uh, makes you come alive. Makes you come alive. Yeah. And so when we're thinking of all the strategies and all the rules, if they don't make you come alive, then it doesn't exist for you. Then it's not yeah, a rule absolutely. you need to follow. I know like one of those rules that I hear all the time is, is and you, you like all the time, everyone tells you the money's in the list, right? Mm. And, like having an email list yeah. and all those things. And there is a lot of truth to that. If you have a list of active people, great. Call you, yeah, you can do things. Um, but I, I run a multi six figure agency and we have zero people on our list <laughs> yeah. so like yeah. it, it's like it's true but it's also not true <laughs> in, in that yeah, it's not the only the place that there is audience money. that's it and we're we are humans going to come across your work it's not just the you know what what we narrowly think of as a list yeah and then there are yeah. so many big lists that are not buying you know there, there are so many flaws with the idea of having a list too so yeah it's the same thing it's there's no does an awesome, well-engaged list make it easier to sell? Sure, of course. Absolutely, but that's not. Yeah, have, yeah. But that, I had I had a client of mine just on that on that exact point. Money is in the list. There is money there, but it's not the only place where the money is. But we yeah. had a had a client who was like, "I have an idea for a course," and I was like, "I was like, have you asked your audience about it?" He's like, "Yeah, my audience is asking me for it." And I was like, "Okay." So we sat down in one afternoon, and in the morning, and we spent four hours and we outlined the course. And then we spent the you know had lunch. We had some weird arugula pizza because he was in Malibu, California, <laughs> and that's a thing they do in California is have arugula pizza. Um, and in the afternoon, we sat down and recorded the course. And then the next morning, we launched that course to his 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 audience and made forty eight thousand dollars in sales. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, absolutely, money in the list. But in the same token you can you it, it makes things faster and easier to do that if you have it already but it's not the only way and it's not it's not like a hard and fast rule that a lot of the things that we get told are that we we think of them as hard and fast rules and you're like well i'm not tech savvy therefore i can't do this right i don't have a list therefore i can't make money right <laughs> yeah yeah i'm i'm probably the least tech savvy person there is i'm the one getting on zoom calls with like i'm like where is my video on where is my camera what what mic is connected and that's okay yeah, yeah. Okay. you don't have to, you know, the technology, you know, and that's, I couldn't have had this business 10 years ago, right? The technology now, same with podcasting, same with any of these tools we use today that involve technology where the technology takes care of the complexity for you. So all you have to do is show up. Mm -hmm. Show up and, and get the one thing that the technology can't help you with, which is the human connection and creativity. Exactly. That's that's one of the things like we, I, I told you a minute ago, I do a, I do a lot of systems design and I have, I have one hard and fast rule in system design. That's it. I was only one. And that hard and fast rule is humans handle creativity, robots handle repetitiveness. That's mm. it. Right? So when you're building, building systems and people are like, how do you build systems that work with both robots and humans? And I'm like, it's really easy. The distinction is creativity. Where's the line of creativity? Mm. Because robots are not creative. They can't be. Um, AI is getting better, but it's still any of the AI stuff you've ever looked at, it all lacks context because they don't have, I call it the spark of divinity that humans have. <laughs> I don't know if they ever will. Maybe we figure that out at some point. Maybe we don't, but it's certainly not there now. Um, so that's, you know, it's just that, that part of, of building things is learning how to, uh, how to know what you bring to the table. And with all the technology and everything, if you can show up and bring your humanity to it, that's the magic. Mm, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so the flip side then of your common enemy, right? So if your common enemy is those hard and fast rules that people think they have to follow, that they have to fight against, then your driving force is what you fight for, 
right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, I want to know what it is that you fight for in your business. Yeah, I mean, it really is the inverse of the other one. And it is inspiring and enabling people to ditch those rules that are holding them back. Um, There's so many industry norms and false beliefs and things like that. So so one example I'll use is um, I work with a lot of psychotherapists, the mental health professionals, and a lot of them get indoctrinated. I know this is in the US, so I don't know if this is a glo- if, if this applies globally necessarily, but they get indoctrinated that because their work, their helper profession, they're not allowed to make money. Their job is to like you know, grind out client sessions and do and give away free sessions and take Medicare and Medicaid and do all the stuff that keeps them hustling and miserable and not, you know, and making a lot of money is frowned upon in a lot of circles in that space. And so one of my missions is like, fuck those rules. Like, who are they to tell you what you can and can't do? And if you can make a bigger difference, why shouldn't you? And why shouldn't you be fairly compensated for that value you bring to the world? So it's, it's how do we, how do we take off those rules, those, those false norms, the things that hold people back and really enable and inspire them to do the thing they want to do? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that too, about being fairly compensated for the value you bring to the world. And it's the reason I love it. It's one of, one of the exercises I run with my kids all the time is, is I tell them like almost every day, it's like you get paid in direct, direct correlation to the amount of value you bring to the world. And so like I tell my kids that all the time and then we look at, you know, as we go through our daily lives, so like who the people that we run into, the cashiers and the people twirling signs on the edge of the road and the person who's, you know, working at the, the thing and the few people we see on the side of the road, do, you know, picking this stuff from the farm and what's the value they're bringing and how are they compensated for it? And then going up the chain, right? You have the waitress and you might have the manager and who, how, who are they serving and how many people are they serving? And then the owner of the restaurant and how many people are they serving, right? Because they're serving their employees and they're serving their stockholders and they're serving their customers, right? So the more people that you serve, the more you get compensated for what you do, right? And so we, we look at that equation a lot just in our family. Um, and I think it's such an important thing that we, we miss because nobody teaches that. Nobody teaches the value equation. And the value, mm-hmm. is how do you take your value and scale it to the most people possible, right? So exactly what you talk about is scale your genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, an example came to me as you were saying that is, you know, a lot of people um, again, in the U.S., athletes make a ton of money, right? An NBA player, I don't know. I don't know. How, I'm not a sports person. I don't know how much they make exactly, but it's many, many millions of dollars. And people will complain about that. But they bring so much, you know, to your point, they bring so much value to thousands and thousands of fans. Mm-hmm. That is the value they bring, right? Their salary, yeah. you could argue, is fairly compensated mm-hmm. for how much joy they bring. Yeah, yeah. To so the people they have, who care. Yeah, they have their fans, they have their advertisers, they have the sponsors, and they're bringing value to all of those people. Yeah. Right? And so they get compensated for those things. And so exactly. as you scale up the, 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 the size of your impact, it scales up your yeah and they're uh, not compensated for their level of the skill right and which is correlated but it's not the skill that people are paying for it's the value that their skill brings to a bigger audience and we do that by bringing our skill to a bigger audience if we keep the hill that the skill hidden away then there is no value you're bringing with it to other people and so that's why that's why the compensation is not there yeah, and that's why I like I said I love what you do because what you're doing is you're helping people break out of the the caps of the uh, you know I can work with one person at a time 
And again, there's nothing wrong with working with one person at a time, but it's not the only thing you have to do. And when you can add different versions of scale to your business, then you can impact more people and you can get compensated for that impact. And, and, and that's it. You know, I'm not against one-on-one work. I have a therapist. I have a coach. I have one-on-one providers. And I provide. I help people in the one-on-one format too. It's like that could be, you know, what percentage of your business life do you want that to be? And then how do you scale the rest of it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I know in my, my, my business, I had to cap. It was like I could work with four people at any given time because that's just how much time it took to do what we did. And I know it was like that, that was really limiting on how much impact we could make um, just because we can only work with four people at any given time. And that's why we added the agency component we do is because, you know, we can work with a hundred people and or more. um, And that just, it just, we're just scaling up the size of our team to help those people, um, which is cool because then you're scaling, right? I was was talking to my wife the other day um, for our taxes this last year, we paid, we paid more to our employees this last year um, than I made in the first several years of my business. Mm, like, I love entirely. it. And I was like, that's really cool because I, I have yeah. families like their them and their children and their the people that they they take care of. They're all they're all getting taken care of from our business, right? So you're you're serving your employees, you're serving your clients, you're serving their clients um, by doing good work for them. And again, as you as you scale your value, right, the number of people that you're impacting, your revenue is impacted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> cool. So I want to uh, switch gears again and start talking about something that's really practical. And we talked a little bit about technology already, but I want to talk about um, what I call your hero's tool belt. And just like every superhero has their awesome gadgets like batarangs or web slingers or laser eyes or their big magical hammers, um, I want to talk about top one or two tools you couldn't live without in your business. Could be anything. Could be your notepad you use for notes. Could be your um, your calendar you use to keep track of things. Could be your marketing tools. Could be some specific process you use for product delivery. Something you think is absolutely essential to getting your yeah. job done. Um, my assistant, not only for what she does, but because she keeps, I have to do my things so that her work flows. Yeah. Um. So just another, what's that? It forces you to show up. Exactly. Exactly. Because if I, I may not be motivated by my own timelines, but I'll be motivated by her timeline. If I give her a timeline and she needs my input to meet her timeline, I will much more likely do the thing for her timeline than if I were to set an arbitrary timeline for myself. So yeah, it keeps me showing up in a way that's, that, that creates a nice consistency for myself. Again, you know, spending so much time in corporate where there was so much structure and then going to, you know, I was working for eight years now working for myself, a little, some of that structure that I can create from the outside is helpful. So that's in addition to the amazing value she brings by working, you know, doing the things it's the structure she provides to me that I find really invaluable. Um, the other thing that has been, and I'll actually tie it to the perfectionist thing, is to constantly jot down my ideas without feeling guilty for not doing them. One of the struggles I had earlier on is when I would write down ideas but then not do them, I would blame myself. I'm like, oh, there's another idea I, I didn't get to, right? That was kind of like what my year-end or quarter-end review would look like. I'm like, well, that didn't happen. Whereas instead, allowing myself to list those ideas as just a purely 
creative exercise with the intention that nothing on this list ever has to get done. And that enabled me to tune into my creativity without the, without the negativity, if that makes sense. It's like a stream of consciousness, almost like these are the things that are just going through my head. It doesn't necessarily make them things I want to do. But without exact or have to do, right. That's where my brain went. It was like, you have, if you wrote it down, you got to do it now. So that I'd be like scared to even write it down. <laughs> yeah, and then then it would also get stuck in your head and built up, and you'd have, you know, brain garbage keeping you from being able to. Totally, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. So being able to just like clear those ideas, and you know, when you clear them, then those want then the sparkly ones really kind of will stand out, and you're like, oh, that is exciting, and I still don't have to do it, so still kind of getting rid of the blame shame game, but it it just made it for an easier process of of creativity and execution. For sure. Yeah, I find I find the same thing helps me to sleep at night because um, as an entrepreneur, you probably know how difficult it is to turn your brain off from all the things that are going on. Um, so I'll find I find it useful at night before I go to bed to just sit down with my notepad and just write all the things that are happening in my head until I run out of things. And then like mm-hmm. once they're all out, then I'm like, now I can sleep because <laughs> they're not yeah. here anymore. Um, yeah, because I'm always like, I was I'm like, oh, in the middle of the idea. night even too. Yeah, because like I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I have to hold on to that in my head. So if I fall asleep, it'll yeah. go away. <laughs> uh-huh. Nope, you're just going to be up all night. Yeah, in the middle of the night, all sometimes night. if I wake up and the idea is spinning, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to write write this down or like what, voice memo it out or something. I, I keep my phone, like I've got a little magnet. Yeah, there we go. It's got a little magnet thing on the back of it. And I just stick it to my wall next to my bed and just have mm-hmm. a quick access mm-hmm. to the notes. And I like, I have all these notes. Like I have a whole folder for like, I call it stream of consciousness. And like, I don't even look at those notes because most of them, they're nonsensical. It's like a drunk person wrote them in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, I never look back at the stuff, but just the process of getting it out of your head verbally, either if I, I find either written or voice is the way that they exit. Yeah, if I think they'll yeah. just continue to. They just continue to, to go. And, and you thing. think that they're just the most genius ideas, especially when you're tired. Um, you've had a long day and you've been doing things and you're like, oh, this is the most genius idea I've ever had. Therefore, I have to hold on to it all night and never sleep. And then you write it down. And then in the morning you look at it, and you're like, I don't know who that person was. Yeah, that was the dumbest. Exa- yeah, it's like in the middle of the night, you're like, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever come up with ever, ever, ever. In the morning, you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> this is not even like worth five minutes of my time. <laughs> totally. Yeah, the, uh, the thing that cracks me up about that is uh, the old um, Greek culture, the uh, the Greek politics. Um, they used to have this rule that every idea or law that they were going to pass had to pass muster, so to speak, when they were both sober and when they were drunk. Huh. So they would okay. they would they would meet together and they would come up with ideas and they would do this while they were drunk and then they would come back to them and the ones that made sense while they were still sober, those were the ones that actually got enacted into law. And I was like, that it cracks me up, but also it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I might have to try that one out. <laughs> that sounds like a fun, a fun, a fun study to do. Yeah, fun study. See if this works. You know, which ones are the good ideas? Because they're the ones that are good both ways. <laughs> yeah, both like more con- like more conscious brain and like some of the more primal, right? Yeah, I kind of feel like you're getting like both, both, both two parts of your brain coming in. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was fascinating. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was on having the assistant because I had a similar thing happen with me, but it was. Um, so I hired, I had someone, uh, one of my mastermind people tell me again, so I had a lot of good things come out of having a mastermind. So if you're listening, and you don't have a mastermind, you should, because it helps you grow your business. But anyways, I had someone on my mastermind tell me that they were like, they were like, you're your own bottleneck and you're either, you need to, he's like, I know this is going to be tough for you, but hire someone full time. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't afford to hire someone full time. And he was like, trust me, just do it. Um, and I remember thinking I vacillated on that for months. 
because I was like, I can't, I can't hire someone full time. I don't have the money to do that. Um, and, and I remember his words just rolling over my head because he made a lot more money than me. He had a much larger business than I did, was far more successful. And um, I was like, he, he has to know something I don't know. So a couple months later, I just, I hired someone full time and brought them onto my team. Um, and it, it immediately changed everything in my business. Um, and it was one of those, one of those shifts where you were like, now you see it from the other side and you're like, oh, I see what he meant <laughs> because now my work output significantly went through the roof, which more than paid for his salary. Um, and, and I was like, oh, that's where the money comes from. And it was, it was just an interesting thing because it changed, it changed my mental conversation, right? Cause my mental conversation before I had someone and I, like, I worked with people regularly, I'd hire people for things, but it was like, I'm going to hire someone to do this task. Right. So it was project work for things. And I would always be asking myself, is this task something that I'm going to do myself or is it something I'm going to hire out to someone? And that question inevitably led me to I'm going to do it myself a lot because I could do it better, cheaper and faster. Um, but I can't do it at scale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I had someone on my team, yeah. now the question was, what do I have that I can take off of my plate and put onto his, which is a much better question. But it's yes. not one that you think about until you have someone on your team to do that with. But anyways, it was a major mental shift for me. So I totally get where you're coming from, that your assistant's one of the most important things in your business. It is. And anyone, you know, anyone that comes into the online space or any, really any, any space, if they don't have one, it, it, it's like you said, it will, they will pay for themselves because it will free you up to be more strategic, to focus on the things that make you money, um, to focus on the things that grow and scale your business instead of like figuring out email automations. Right. Things that are yeah. like, okay, cool. I now I now know how to do email automations. But that's not what the value is. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what the uh, the most valuable things are. So yeah, I love I love both of those things. Um, you know, they're they're both really important tools, um, at least in my business. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. Um, but what I want to talk about next is your own personal heroes, right? So every hero has their mentors. You know, Frodo had Gandalf, um, Luke had Obi-Wan Kenobi, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, even Spider-Man had his uncle Ben. So what I want to find out from you is who were some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors? Maybe peers who were a couple of years ahead of you, speakers or authors? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far? 
Yeah, you know, my my God, I'm trying to think like younger years, if no one specifically comes to mind for some my younger years, who who's been very prevalent to me for many years and now too is Tim Ferriss, uh, you know, podcaster, yeah. author. And what I love about his one, I love his podcast because I love the questions he asks. He really, and you have, you'll, you'll hear so many people coming, you know, big names, people who've been interviewed by so many people. And Tim will ask a question. They're like, wow, no one's ever asked me that before. And so you just really dive into different angles um, of people. And you're, you're, you're also really amazing at asking questions too. It's like, how do you ask questions that take people to places they don't usually go, you know, in our normal interviews? And so one thing I love is just being able to get to know the people he interviews just in these new ways because of his ability to ask questions. Um, he also cuts through the bullshit, right? You know, we we like people who kind of match our match our ways of thinking, but the way he speaks and writes and interviews is it's it 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 does cut through the noise to what's important, to what's present, to what makes a difference. Um, and I really love that 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 kind of approach and that feels really inspiring to me. So that's someone that's in my world now. Yeah. Um yeah, something I, I was, that I yep. I was say I really like Tim Ferriss. Um, his his first book, the uh, Four Hour Work Week, um, was actually what in inspired me to um, to start my first business um, way back in two thousand and seven. Um, and I remember reading that book and thinking, yeah, I can I can do this right. This and you know here we are several years later. With, yeah, with with a large team and two different companies traveling the world, doing all those things. And like it, a lot of that came from stuff I learned from him and his thought processes. Um, and yeah. I loved his, his concept of, uh, he calls it the nouveau riche, right? Which mm-hmm. is the, the new rich people. And there, it's not necessarily that they're rich in money, but they're rich in, in their experience of life. Right. And that's one of the reasons why, like I took my business on the road and my kids and we travel, like we travel full time um, all over the world. Um, and, I run two businesses from the road and they're both fairly successful right now. They weren't always right. It took me a long time to get good at this stuff, but I, I, I was one of those people. I read that book and I was like, Psh, by next year, it took me 10, but <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but it inspired you to act. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's break the rules. It's, it's cut through the bullshit. It's like, we don't need those rules of 40, 50, 60 hour work weeks. Right. That's not, yeah. H- how do we make it work for, for us? Yeah. Yeah. I know he talks about the four hour work week and it's funny because like, I've never managed to get it to four hours, but one of the things I did do, um, over the course of my life earlier in my entrepreneurial career, I had this crazy thought that the, uh, um, that all I needed to do to be more successful was work more. Um, yeah, I think we all go through that. (laughs) I think every entrepreneur goes through that phase where you're like, you know, if, if I can get this much done in 40 hours a week, imagine what I could get done if I never slept or ate or did anything but work. Mm-hmm. I mean, then you find out that's the quick way to, that's a quick way to die young. It's the exact <laughs> um, opposite result. Yeah. Exact opposite result. But I tried it. Didn't work well. Um, and I remember um, going through this process where I was looking at um, how can I cut down, like, uh, you know, I, I learned, I learned a really important concept that creativity thrives with boundaries. Right. Mm. And, you know, everything you look at, any sort of creative outlet, you always have your boundaries. If you're painting, you have your canvas, that's your boundary with I'm a photographer and your photographer as a photographer. It's that that frame that you have to work with and whatever lens that you're using. It's it's a you're what am I going to show the world within these bounds? Right. So creativity thrives with boundaries. And I was like, how can I start applying that to other areas of my life? Um, And so for me, I was like, what happens if I 
you know, cut my work week down from six hours or six days a week to five days a week? And what if I cut it from five to four? And what if I cut it from 12 hours a day to eight and from eight to six and from six to four, right? And I'm at this point now where, again, I, I run two companies, travel the world, and we do that on four hours a day, four days a week, right? Yeah. Um, because yeah. you it, it changes how you think about things when you give yourself boundaries. Absolutely. And stuff, and, and oh, I, there, there's a phrase, and I'm, I'm not going to say it right, but it's like the stuff fills to fill the time, right? Whatever time you yeah. give it, it, you'll fill the time. So if you give it less time, you could just you could just use less time. Yeah, it's magic. It's like magic. You're like, oh, I can just get these things. And then the other thing, the other principle that has gone along with that is realizing that like as entrepreneurs, we frequently look at our lives in terms of like, hey, in order to get to rest and recreation, I have to do my work. Like I have to accomplish my goal and then I'll rest and recreate, which Tim Ferriss is one of the people that helps sort of break that in my head. It's like, you don't have to do that. You, you can, you yeah. can recreate now. You don't have to wait till you're 60 and retired. You can do it now. Um, and the way that I've sort of internalized that is I, I tell people and I tell myself mostly, but I tell people on this podcast all the time is you have to give yourself permission to play because mm. reward your recreation and your rest is not something that you give yourself as a reward for doing good work. Um, it's something that you have to do in order to show up and do good work, right? So you have to flip it. So powerful. Yeah. You know, on a micro level where this shows up for me and sometimes I'll have mornings where I'm just not motivated. So usually I do most of my good work. Like I'm a morning person, but there's some mornings that I'm not motivated. And what I used to do is like try to force myself to do the work. Now I'll go for a hike. I'll go for a walk. I'll go play. And then I come back and I work in the afternoon and it took me a while to give myself the permission to do that. Cause again, it was like, well, wait, the morning is when I'm supposed to work. How can I not work during this prime time? How am I playing? And then I saw like, okay, I don't usually love working in the afternoons, but if I spend the morning playing, I actually don't mind working in the afternoons and I produce some really good work. And so it's the permissions. Yeah, it's like, it's those permission, permission slips that we play. get to give ourselves. Permission yeah, to play okay. at any time. Like, I don't care if it's Monday at 9 a.m., go play. I was like, I, I have this idea. I want to write a book called Permission to Play, but I'm like, mm. I don't know what I would say in it other than give yourself permission go to play. play. Like, <laughs> yeah. go play. It's going like, to be a really short book. Really short book. <laughs> <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. Go play. And you probably um, sell it for like a thousand dollars because I'm sure you can come up with a really great marketing around it. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's such it's such an important concept, right? And as entrepreneurs, when we have that other mindset that I'll play and I'll rest and I'll recreate when I get my work done, your work's never done. So then you never no. do it. So then you can never do good work, right? It's this downward spiral that I have gotten myself into in the past, and I've seen entrepreneurs in. And I'm like, if you would just shift that mental model of yeah. give yourself permission to play first that allows you to show up and knock it out of the park. Um, and, yeah. you know, and it, again, it, it's an idea that came from Tim Ferriss and his four hour work week, right? It's like, if you can run a big company on four hours a week, what, what is that? And for me, the, the thing that came out of that was that whole permission to play. Mm, yeah. I love that. You should write yeah. that book for sure. <laughs> permission to play one page, go play. Uh, yeah. I'll, I, I will at some point figure out, I'll sit down and actually outline my thoughts on that. Cause I think there's more to it and like just walking through some of those things. But yeah, that's, I, I have to get more clear on it, I guess. So maybe I need to hire someone like you to help me write that book. <laughs> yeah, I, I see. I, I, I'm seeing an Instagram account that's like totally viral, right? Cause people would love this, this, this idea. Yeah, absolutely. So I have one more question for you in our interview, um, and it's your guiding principles, right? So one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code, 
for instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. Um, so as we wrap up the interview, I'm going to talk about the top one or two principles that you regularly use in your life. Maybe something you wish you'd known when you started out on your own hero's journey. Principles, principles, principles. Um, you know, I, I would have to say one of the key principles and your prompt of, you know, something that's that's helping me start. And this relates to the transition from corporate to having your own business, which is sales. You don't have a business if you don't sell stuff. And coming from a corporate roles where I was never in sales roles, I was always the client, the manager, whatever. So I would never it became a very reciprocal relationship. And so at first I thought sales was something that was just going to be like, I have to do this so that I can have a business that is successful. And where I have gotten to be and is a core principle of sales is really, really fun. And like, that's what it's all about. And I get to make amazing connections with that process. And I get to help people through the process before they ever become a client. And so really just falling in love with that part of the process, I would say has been a big part of the, yeah. uh, what's, what's, what's enabled this to be fun and successful. I remember, um, I had, I hired a sales coach at one point early in my business career. I paid him 12 grand to teach me how to sell. Um, probably the best $12,000 ever ever spent in my business. Um, but, um, one of the things that was fascinating from that experience was learning really clearly what sales was and what it wasn't. Cause we have all of this really negative baggage about what sales is. A lot of it's Hollywood's fault, right? Cause it's always a used car salesman and all those things. Mm -hmm. And we, we've had those experiences with people who have that sort of terrible sales mentality. But when you, what you realize is that sales, what sales really is when you get down to it is someone else has a problem that is causing them pain and strife and issues in their life. And you have a solution to that problem that can help make their life better. And what sales is, is how you connect those two things, their problem to your solution. And when you start thinking of it that way, it becomes a thing that you're like, not just excited to do that, that you're almost um, obligated. That It's part of the mission. Their... That, that yeah. is part of the mission. Yeah. Yeah. What, what would their life be like if I didn't take the time and effort to do the sales, right? Yeah. Um, and depending on what it is that you're selling, like it, it could be horribly traumatic in their life if they don't get to your solution. Um, and so anyways, that it's, it's, it can really shift um, your whole perspective on business when you understand what sales is at its core and how important it is to helping other people and really taking your value to the people who need it. Mm, yeah. And I've had some amazing sales coaches over, over the years too. And I don't think I would have figured this all out on my, on my own either. And so, yeah. So, you know, people listening, if they are really struggling with sales, get support. Cause I, it, it's a, it's it, like when it clicks, it clicks. That's, that's how the experience was for me. It, it just became this 180 shift from something I had to do and hated to part of my mission and part of, part of my gift to the world. And one of my coaches said something that really stuck with me too. It's like, how good does it feel to buy something that you want to buy? Like, I love buying things I want to buy, right? And so yeah. we can't forget about their their experience is positive too. It's not, there's no taking, there's no, right? It's not a, it's not a one-sided, I think, I think we it's think of sales as this like one-sided equation. Yeah, yeah, it's an equal exchange of value. And so like, why wouldn't we want to have that? And I think that's yeah. been one of the, that's been probably the biggest, as far as entrepreneurial yeah. journey, definitely the biggest shift. My favorite experience from working with that coach is he did he did something with me that to this day cracks me up that he had me do this. But he was like, I'm going to have you do cold calling. And I was like, cold mm. calling for what? He was like, I'm going to give you a list. He gave me a list of 250 people. He's like, I want you to call them and sell them. 
I was like, sell them what? He was like, anything. And I was like, well, who are these people? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> he's like, he's like, that's, that's part of the process. And he, he what he had me do, he's like, I'm going to give you a really simple script that you can just follow at the beginning. And the, the goal is to get into a conversation with someone and find out what their problem is and see if you can help mm. connect them with a the solution. And so it was an exercise and the exercise was this. So he gave me a list. I called the person on the list, be like, Hey, my name is Richard Matthews. I have your name here sitting in front of me. Can you remember why I would have your name? Like, why, why, why do I have your name and phone mm. number here in front of me? And, and what that did is it immediately took the other person off, off guard where they're like, well, I don't know. Like, you know, maybe I was at a mastermind event or maybe I was at a, at a, at a mm. thing or like whatever, like maybe, maybe this and I, you know, I always be like, maybe that's it. So, you know, why don't I tell you a little bit about what I do or maybe you can tell me a little bit about what, you know, what it is you do. And we just started a conversation and find out, find, find out from them what they're doing and where they're going with their life and with their business and see if there's something that you could help them with, right? Something that you can mm. give value. What's funny is this is an exercise that just 250 complete strangers. He didn't have anything, not even related with business, nothing. They were just strangers. I made sales in my business from doing that exercise. Wow. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and it also, it changed, it changed that whole, that whole fear of like getting on the phone and talking with someone. Yeah. Realize like, it's not, it's not about getting rejected. It's not about doing those things. It's about, I need to create a relationship with someone. <laughs> exactly. And that's really what oh, sales wow. is. Yeah. Right. That's a crazy yeah. experience. It's a crazy thing to do. And that's not really, you know, it, it, but it was, for me, it was, it, it shifted a lot of how I thought about sales. So, yeah. Yeah. And it takes, you know, it, 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 it like being hung up on is not scary at the end of the day. It's not like, it's not a big deal. They're going to think about you maybe for another five seconds and then, and then their life goes on and your life goes on. And I think, yeah, I think we, 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 we kind of create rejection into this thing. Yeah. That it just isn't. Um, and you know, nowadays like very, very few people are doing cold call sales, right? Like what you, you know, when you and I get on the phone with a client, it's because we've done marketing, other things that they're coming to us and asking us like, Hey, I've seen what you're doing and I'd like to learn more about it. Right. Which is significantly lower bar, like type sales than what he had me doing. But it was like, Hey, if oh, you can completely. do the hard stuff, if you can do the hard stuff and still win, imagine how easy it is when you have someone coming to you and be like, Hey, I know what you do. I like what you do. And I'd like to learn more. Like those are yeah. like lay down sales almost by comparison. Yeah, like How do you make, how do you make a 10 pound dumbbell feel lighter? Lift a hundred pound dumbbell first, <laughs> right? <laughs> then, then the 10 pound dumbbell is like, Oh, this is nothing. Yeah, <laughs> you lift that nothing. one first and it's heavy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, so yeah. I think that's a, a great place to, uh, to wrap our interview, but I do finish every interview with a simple challenge. Um, I call it the hero's challenge and I use this to help get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own because not everyone is out doing the podcast rounds like you and I do. Um, so yeah. the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story with our audience here on the hero show? First person that comes to mind for you. Um, one of my, one of my friends and business friends, Anke Herman, she's in Spain. Um, she helps people with the tech stuff of their online businesses, but her, I love her story because she started her entrepreneurial journey sewing flamenco dresses. Um, and then she has a beautiful story about how that transitioned into, um, the online business space and the kind of the parallels between those. And, and, and she's, yeah, she lives in Spain, same kind of like, not quite digital nomad, but that same idea of working from anywhere in the world um, with an online business. And um, yeah, she has a really, a really fun story that I think, I think your folks would enjoy hearing. 
Awesome. So we'll reach out later and see if we can get an introduction to her and maybe get her on the show. Not everyone says yes, but yeah. when they do, we get some really cool stories out of them. Um, so in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end of the story that are clapping and cheering for the acts of heroism. So are analogous to that as we close is I want to know where people can find you if they want your help in the future. Where can they light up the bat signal and say, hey, Jane, I need help getting my expertise packaged up so I can scale my value. Um, and I think more importantly than where is who are the right types of people to actually light up the bat signal and ask for your help? Mm, yeah. So the people that um, I can help are people who are in helping professions whose work makes a difference in demand professionals that are either working one-on-one -on -one or in a done-for-you format and want to be able to work with more people using less of their time. Um, our website is the perfect starting point, scaledgenius.com. On the front page, we always have our latest if it, we have a training coming up, that'll be on the front page. If we have a, like a, whatever the latest thing we're promoting is always on the front page. We are on all the socials. So wherever you are, just look up Scale Your Genius um, and we're there. YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, all, all the things. Um, so if you do have a favorite platform, we're, we're on there. Awesome. So thank you so much for coming on today, Jane. I really appreciate getting to hear your story and hear what you do and have this fascinating conversation. Um, and again, I, I, I love what you're doing and I love how important it is and the ripple impact that it's going to have um, as you continue to grow your business. Um, so as we, uh, as we finish this up, do you have any final words of wisdom for my audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? Yeah, you know, I'll say if, 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 if you are... If you resonated with what we're talking about and you feel like some kind of industry norms or rules are holding you back, I invite you to just question those and see if maybe there is some space for you to leave those behind and pursue your mission in a bigger way. Absolutely. I completely agree with that because every time I've asked better questions like that, it's changed my business and we've impacted more people. So thank you very much, Shane, for coming on today. I really appreciate having you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed this a lot.